and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's never short of answers. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I'll give them to you whether you want them or not. I mean, yeah, luckily, <laughs> luckily today, yeah. it's a listener question special. Mm-hmm. So I do actually want your answers. Okay. Yeah. Normally they're unsolicited. And, Hopefully yeah. the listeners do as well, but we'll find out. <laughs> Hopefully we'll, we'll find out. at least 10 listeners do. <laughs> yes. And yes, I have indeed. their questions in front of me. Shall we get straight to it? Let's get straight to it with the first question coming from Raghav Gupta, who asks, who is one player each of you want your club to sign? And we've Ooh. sort of taken the approach of like, let's say our clubs were each going to sign one player in January, but then maybe this summer there's like a long-term yeah. uh, signing as well. Hopefully there will be for both of our teams. Yeah, so like an immediate problem fix yeah. for January, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, like a long-term realistic but dream signing. I'm guessing yep. we can't both just say Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and and so on. Yeah. Um, if you've never heard the show That'd before... That'd be fine though. I would be okay with that. If you've never heard the show before, Taylor's team is Manchester United. Mm-hmm. My team is Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Um, so those are the teams that we'll be signing players for. Alright Taylor, who would you like Man United to sign in January? Alright. I may need your help with this one, Daryl, because it's okay. kind of a confusing one for me. Because I think the, the biggest area of vulnerability right now with Manchester United, and there are many, is simply the centre of midfield where mm-hmm. there are already sort of a lack of options and then due to injuries I think right now it's like Andreas Pereira Nemanja Matic and Fred yeah. that is not really the strongest of midfields you could look for when an injury to, I like Scott McTominay mm-hmm. but when an injury to him constitutes yeah. some sort of midfield injury crisis yeah. then you probably need some extra depth a little bit a little should, bit here's what you should have done is signed Ander Herrera to a long term contract maybe maybe so although <laughs> I think Ander Herrera himself was maybe not all in on that one at that point but yes I would have been okay with that but I do think you need a lot of depth in midfield uh, if you're Manchester United. But I think number 10 especially that is supposed to be where Paul Pogba theoretically could operate mm-hmm. for the team if uh, if like Jesse Lingard continues to not perform and Juan Mata continues to be slightly older. Um, and so I think he, a, every day he, he continues really to be slightly older. So I think a creative number 10 is probably a very Ooh. big thing they need. Yeah. I would love for them to aggressively go after James Madison, but I don't really know why he would leave at this point in the season. Leicester second. Seem like they're going to cruise into the Champions League's Spots. Seems like Brendan Rodgers has got that team figured out, has got them humming. I yeah. don't know why you jump ship in January. There's still that thing, though. Mm-hmm. Even though Leicester are doing great, Manchester United is still the bigger team. There's still like a romance about playing at Old Trafford mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So I think James Madison is is not a bad shout. I, so I would like that a lot. But I also think that if you're looking for a number 10 who very clearly wants a move... It's it's uh, Christian Eriksen. That's the one that makes probably the most sense. He does, but I, th- I think he very clearly wants a move, but not necessarily to Manchester United. That's the issue, right? right? He yeah. very clearly wants a move to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. And especially... Did you not put a disguise on, like get Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to like, <laughs> shave his head, uh, bulk up a bit, pretend he's Zinedine Zidane? I mean, I, that, you could go that <laughs> route. I don't think he's going to fool him. But it's also the case that like by his own admission, Solskjaer wants players who kind of embody the Man United that he grew up with, he experienced, which yeah. is hard work, a lot of determination, a lot of like sense of belief in team that really isn't a thing we've seen from Christian Eriksen this season because he has been so frustrated because yeah. he's wanted to move. I'd say that's an outlier to the Christian Eriksen experience though, right? Potentially, but an outlier is still move. there. And okay. that's where I kind of am like, I think that Eriksen... You Erickson, don't want him to arrive as his second choice destination. No, I do not. Right? And yeah. sort of being like, cool, I guess I'll stay here for yeah. a little while. We've had that experience before. It was on Heldy Maria. It 
did not work very mm-hmm. well. So if Erickson is all bought in, bought in and it feels like that's the more attainable get in January, maybe yep. I'd be okay with that. But and I would definitely prefer James Madison as the number 10. And I don't know Madison's contract mm-hmm. situation. I do know Christian Erickson's contract expires in the summer mm-hmm. so he can leave for free. Spurs would be very willing to take willing to yep. take like 20 million off your hands mm-hmm. right now right? Yep. to get to get him gone right now. I think so. It would solve a problem for Mourinho as well, right? Because right now he's got a player yep. that's definitely leaving. And he's like probably your best player, but he's not fully committed. So do you start him? Do you bring him off the bench? Like it's a weird. It really puts Mourinho in a can't win situation. Right. Um, so Ericsson leaving really would suit everybody. But instead, Man United are supposedly in for Harry Winks, which is not quite the same level Oof. of uh, of talent. I would say no disrespect to Harry Winks, but yeah. also disrespect to Harry Winks. <laughs> um, and then like longer term, I actually think he may be just as gettable right now because Atleti are not having the strongest of seasons. But Thomas Partey is a midfielder. I've always, mm-hmm. I've, not always, but I have. Enjoyed for like the last two, three years, the more he's become kind of on our radar, especially with the Champions League. Yeah. Watching him play, he's very good on the ball. He doesn't lose it a lot. He looks to play forward. He's a he's like a tidy technical player. All of those things are things I think Manchester United could use. And he brings a bit more defensive steel as well. So he could be the kind of number eight, maybe a number six if you wanted to try that. But I'd be okay with him as the number eight. And then you bring in James Madison as a number 10. And I'm All pretty right. happy. Do you also get Tati if you get Partey? <laughs> Tati and Partey? Yeah. I so mean, I've heard no Tati, no Partey. There it is. I was wondering what was happening. I mean, you could as a director. I can't remember <laughs> if he's still with Roma or if he's uh, parted ways with them at this point. But, uh, yeah, why not? Bring in Tati just because. <laughs> All right, my January mm-hmm. signing for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, the immediate um, crisis is at centre-back. Mm-hmm. Wolves played three centre-backs. Um, Willie Bowley has been injured for a little while now, right? He's a left centre-back. Jesus Viejo was on loan from Real Madrid. He had a bit. He had a few injury problems, and he had some basically performance problems. He mm-hmm. did not fit in at Wolverhampton. There seems to be some some weird dissonance between living in Madrid and living in Wolverhampton that he couldn't quite overcome. Shocker. Um, he's been sent back, as I understand it. His loan has been cut short early, oh. and he's he's back in Madrid. Wolves Maybe right they now, just thought he spoke Portuguese, just assumed he did, <laughs> and then when he didn't, it was an issue. He's like everyone here is speaking like this weird <laughs> version of Spanish. <laughs> um, right now, Max Kilman, who's like uh, I believe come through the youth system, has been. Doing okay, but he's not necessarily uh, a long-term solution. Fine. You can Wolves. have Phil Jones. Fine. I would take Phil Jones. 40 million, that's all it will take. That's maybe a little <laughs> steep. Um, 39? What I would love, honestly, mm-hmm. is to balance my love for Raul Jimenez, mm-hmm. who plays for the Mexican national team. Yep. We need an American at Wolves. All right. John Brooks. I was wondering if you were going to go Aaron Long here. John Brooks is the safer bet, I think, yeah. Or Aaron Long. <laughs> that <laughs> really is what I wrote down. Really? I, I've, I've got him. Well, not wrote down. Typed yeah. on my iPad. Would love it to be John Brooks, but not sure we could get him. Right? Mm. It's, I mean, you could argue that playing for Wolves in the Premier League is a step above playing for Wolfsburg. No, it, it, it decidedly in the is. Bundesliga. I mean, and that isn't disrespectful at all. It's just, yeah, playing for a team that are sometimes near mid-top table, but oftentimes yeah. near the bottom of the table. And I think, like, not necessarily going to challenge for the title. Right. Wolves aren't either, but I think playing in the Premier League, playing in Europe, playing for a team that could conceivably challenge for the Champions League very soon, I think that that is a safe bet that, yeah, that would be a bit more appealing. But it would take some money. Right? I think Wolfsburg yeah. paid around 20 million euros. I Something can't remember like the exact number for, for John Brooks. So he wouldn't come cheap. But I do think, like, injury problems aside, assuming he stays fit, mm-hmm. I think it would suit him. Because the thing that John Brooks isn't great at is if he's, like, left on an island and someone's running at him one-on-one in open space, Wolves don't often let that happen, right? Wolves are very mm-hmm. good at keeping numbers back. That's the reason they have a decent defensive record. It's the reason Man United couldn't get a shot on target um, in the FA Cup. One of the reasons. Um, it's one of the reasons. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, they never leave their yeah. defenders exposed mm-hmm. to the elements. So John Brooks, I think, would be a good fit there. He could play left centre-back. He could probably play anywhere across that back three. Yep. I'd very much enjoy it. 
also Aaron Long wouldn't be a bad shout because I don't think he would cost that that much, right? Yeah. Coming from uh, New York Red Bulls. That interest from Southampton and Marseille seems to have called. He definitely seems to want to make that move to Europe. It, West Ham were in there too, right? West Ham were in there at some point, but nothing seems, to, as far as I know, nothing is happening right now. Mm-hmm. I know where you can find him right now. Yep. He's in Florida. <laughs> Go get his signature. Um, we don't know if Aaron Long could hack it in the Premier League or not, but it sure would be fun finding out. Yes. So he'd be more of the gamble dice role, whereas John Brooks yeah. would be a roll of the dice as well because he doesn't have the experience of playing in England already. He has not yeah. been in the Premier League. The Bundesliga League, but is basically as good, in my opinion. I, I, would, I would expect him to be okay. And yeah. I think Nuno has shown an ability to get people into the system, to get them to understand, to get them on board. Yeah. And, you know, he's just got the whisper talk that I think <laughs> works very well talk. for him. Yes. The other, speaking it's of Nuno, the other possibility, he's been linked before, uh, Ruben Dias, mm-hmm. uh, 22 two-year-old uh, Benfica defender. His agent is George Mendes. The, it is that possible. Boxes are being ticked. Boxes yeah. are being ticked. Mm-hmm. I've thought this before and it didn't come off this summer. So we shall see. We shall see. All right. But All those, right. Are, those are my three January wants. Uh, Brooks, Long or Diaz. And then Phil Jones is there for 39 million. Are we negotiating down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait till it comes down a little more. 38.5. Yeah. <laughs> Final offer. Twelve dollars final offer. <laughs> we'll take it. Long term for Manchester yep. United. Mm-hmm. Who's your sort of realistic? It is, it is Thomas Partey. I think okay. just because that feels like a. Again, he that is a piece that I think could be like gotten this January, mm-hmm. but it also feels like a piece that could be helpful long term in terms of building piece. around him a party piece. Yeah, because he's I, I don't know the age, his age off the top of my head. Could have looked that up, but chose not to. Uh, but I feel like he's young enough that you could build around him. But he's not going to be this sort of like has to be in there every single week type of player. Yeah. But is a very very good player that I think immediately strengthens that midfield and then allows you to look at other areas long term. Okay, uh, long term mm-hmm. for Wolves. We need a replacement for Jao Moutinho. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jao Moutinho plays, Wolves look like a different team. Yeah. He is this incredible force in midfield who's capable of essentially control, bringing down and changing direction with a soccer ball uh, better than anyone else on the Wolves team, including Ruben Neves. I really think Jao Moutinho is this like, top-quality player who is just way beyond what Wolves could ever have dreamed of signing until very, very recently. I really think he might be their best player. Mm. Um, but he's 33 years old. He just signed a new contract that goes till 2022. But you've got to imagine that he's going to be playing fewer and fewer games. His legs are going to get tired faster and faster over the next couple of years. So we need a replacement for that type of player. So I've gone out looking for that type of player. What have you found? Um, I think this, this might be a stretch financially because other bigger teams are in for him. But Bruno Fernandes, uh, mm-hmm. 25 um, at Sporting. I deliberately went and watched some, some footage of Fernandes to make sure that I had this right. He has that same thing of he can kill a soccer ball dead. He can change direction with it. He can send in things that end up being basically crosses from like a from a more central position. You know what I'm saying? Like Matinho mm-hmm. will receive the ball in like just right of centre but still manage to curl across to the far post for Matt Doherty to mm-hmm. run onto or whatever. Um, Fernandez can do all of that the same as Jao Matinho. Um, unfortunately, his agent is not George Mendes. Even though he's Portuguese, he's represented by a company called Position Number, which no, is a great name for an agency. Half a stick for being Portuguese. Ha- yeah, half a buck stick. Maybe Mendes knows someone. I, I have a feeling he knows some people. But I keep when I, when I search his name, I keep seeing like mm-hmm. Man United are in for him or some Man City are in for him or some basically bigger teams that would be more attractive uh, than Wolves. But, it must be nice to have one position that's like an injury concern and then you're like, well, I, we need to replace this one guy eventually and that's what you're looking at. Whereas with Man United, it's like, I don't replace everybody. Everybody, I guess. <laughs> Long-term planning. Yeah. Um, then maybe a bit more... Is that important? A bit more, yeah. Is a, a director of, fo- of football useful? A bit yeah. more fantasy-ish and maybe just as a loan mm-hmm. deal. Um, 
to do a similar sort of role in terms of be that like that one magic player mm-hmm. for Wolves, I would love to get Ma- Martin Odegaard at Marlene. Interesting. So he's doing really well at Real Sociedad. Yes, I don't know if Real Madrid can like promise him first team football or if he would be mm-hmm. the player that they want even next season. If not, like a loan or a transfer to Wolverhampton, I would I would just love to see Martin Odegaard in a Wolves shirt. All right, you, you've made me think more long term as well, and I would enjoy Odegaard with Wolves. Another one that I think could do just yeah. fine. Um, I am now thinking about what I would like. What are the other areas that United will need to look at? I do feel like they'll probably have to look at forward in mm-hmm. the very near future. Probably at left back as well. Those aren't quite as sexy, and I also don't really have an answer for what they need in terms of a goal scoring like striker because I think they basically need Thomas Muller like five years ago. Uh, I, I personally don't really love his movement at times. I feel like sometimes he's very good and quick and is really alert to it and alive yeah. to it. A lot of times I feel like I see him kind of, if he doesn't get that first pass, it's standing at the top of the box waiting. Yeah. It's not a lot of movement. It's not a lot of dynamism. And he is kind of the chief goal threat. If he's not hitting, then it's Mason Greenwood maybe coming in, but he's been used out wide at times. So I think you just need more depth in the attack. You know I don't what? know who that would be, but maybe if we could go back in time and sign Thomas Muller, that'd be fine. Honestly, if you could go back just a couple months, mm-hmm. maybe Erling Braut Haaland yeah. would have been the player that Man United needed and here's my pitch for him this is kind of painful because obviously it's not going to happen right now because he's just gone to Dortmund he's got the pace on the counter-attack that Solskjaer wants but he also has the I'm a tall guy who can do some Mm hold-up play that maybe Martial can't do but like just a big target forward can I think for those reasons he would have been a good fit at Man United and especially if he would have been willing to come in and only play like every yeah. other game with Martial maybe that was part of the sticking point and mm-hmm. maybe you just overpay for him oh, in the you know, he was part of his stipulation was that he has to be guaranteed first team minutes okay. and I yeah. think to the extent that he wanted a guarantee of minutes as yeah. in how many minutes he would definitely play and also Man United have now I think sort of publicly but semi-privately moved away from signing anybody who's represented by Mino Raiola because it's gone <laughs> sort of off the rails every single is time. Is he Pogba's agent? He and is, he and he's said now some... Jesse Lingard's agent. Ooh. That happened this week as well, so didn't interesting. Also, didn't Mino Raiola also say some things this week about, like, I mm-hmm. I wouldn't advise my players to go to Man United? Yeah, I would not sign any play- I would not let any of my players sign for Man United. Wow. So I was barely paraphrasing. Yeah, uh, and then it was also worth noting at that point that he's been quoted previously as saying anything he says publicly is not necessarily his views, but him speaking for his Whoa, agents to, the, or his clients. That's so, the opposite of what people put in their Twitter profiles. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe reading between the lines there, we'll see what happens with Pogba. <laughs> I've got a final shout for a player mm. I'd love to see at Wolves that, again, might be a stretch. Um, I also haven't checked in on his form lately. Marco Verratti mm-hmm. is a player I've just always, always loved and enjoyed watching and has that same quality as Matinho of being able to just change direction mm-hmm. and change what's going on on a soccer field, be really effective really, really quickly. It's a good time to be a Wolves fan, huh? Maybe, but like, I might be. the fact I'm suggesting Verratti, I may be dreaming a bit much, right? You're dreaming, but it's still like it is Wolves in the top half of the Premier League, still in Europe, still looking pretty strong. Yeah. It does feel like, go back five years and imagine <laughs> sort of being like, maybe Marco Verratti? And I would have laughed and laughed. <laughs> would you want to play in League One? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, I think we've spent some time with that question. Should we answer sure one have. more? Yeah. All right. Okay, it's from Monica Becker. Mm-hmm. Monica Becker wants to know, or she asks, Liverpool's back line spend a lot of time attacking very far forward. The fullbacks, of course, and she's right, right? We see Trent Alexander-Arnold get forward. We see Andy Robertson get forward. But even the centre-backs like to dribble the ball a bit far forward from time to time. Mm -hmm. Why haven't opposition teams been able to exploit this 
with counterattacks. I mean, my, my argument would be they're trying. Uh, <laughs> it's just that Liverpool are very, very good. Yeah. And a key part of what they're very, very good at, Ryan and I talked about it on the weekend review, from top to bottom, be it their 18-year-olds that they're starting or their, their standard starting 11, they're very good at gegenpressing. pressing. They're very good at the counter press. And so even if one of those center backs gets caught out a little bit, even if they turn the ball over, the dedication, the focus on winning it back as immediately as possible because that limits the opponent's ability to attack, but it also puts them in a vulnerable position yeah. if they then turn it over. It means that you, it's really difficult to get a counterattack going against Liverpool because they're always going to be hunting in packs right away. Yep. And then the final point there was that even if you have one of the center backs, uh, in my viewing experience, even if one of them does stride forward to try to get involved in play in the counterattack, you usually have somebody sitting in for them or at the very least blocking through the middle. So yeah. Liverpool, if they are going to give up a counterattack, they leave themselves in such a position that you can really only do it from out wide and then I, they have the pace to be able to get back and deal with it. I actually think that's one of the big... I think the game impression may be the biggest mm-hmm. thing because it just makes them so hard to counterattack yep. on. But yeah, there's three central midfielders. This is assuming they play their 4-3-3. It's always, I think, really well structured. Yep. So that those three don't get pulled apart very much. So the middle is almost always a no-go zone. You just cannot get through there, right? Mm-hmm. And if you do if you do go down the sides, if you somehow do get through the three midfielders, if the centre-backs are somehow exposed, they're both quick. Assuming it's Van Dijk and Gomez, they can really cover ground, yeah. right? So if you're trying to like, like exploit them down the side, you so often you'll see Van Dijk just kind of do that long stride over, but that stride covers a lot of ground really mm-hmm. quickly and he'll just get there first, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, e- even if you get past all that, Monica Becker, mm-hmm. Alison Becker mm-hmm. is in goal, and you've got to face Alison. <laughs> Monica Becker? That's who asked the question. <laughs> oh, okay. I was very confused. I was like, Alison's. I actually think this, this might be a, re- uh, a relation of uh, Alison uh, Becker. I would like who's, that. Who's I'd maybe okay just, just like trying to, trying to uh, drive us into praising the Liverpool goalkeeper. But if that's the case, now you've got me wondering is Monica a, a, a boy or a girl here? Because if, if Alison Becker, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little confusing. Who knows these things? Is Monica Brazilian? I, well, I guess we'll have to ask and find out. <laughs> uh, but yes, I think Alison Becker is uh, another good reason why yep. those counterattacks are somewhat limited. All right, so there you go. And that's why Liverpool are winning the Premier League. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next question. Yep, comes from uh, Kareem uh, Ramantula, who asks, if you could wave a magic wand and implement any rule change to make the game better in your eyes without any backlash from the soccer community, what would it be? Wow, the middle part of that sentence mm-hmm. is the thing that re- is really holding me back for some wacky ideas here. <laughs> so <laughs> to make the game better without any backlash from the soccer community i would Ooh, okay that's interesting we read that we read that differently because i thought he was saying it as a like your rule change won't get any backlash oh are you reading it as your rule change cannot create any backlash okay either Uh, way mine works so i think we're we're fine we're gonna have two answers to this at least Mm -hmm. then we're gonna we're gonna have it covered either way i would go for i would go for liberalizing the substitution rules to introduce the concussion sub fourth substitution for concussions is my number one bullet point there we go (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. so i'd even liberalize it a little more than was proposed by usl uh, proposed to to fifa or to ifab that you could have a temporary substitute come in while the possibly concussed player was assessed, um, and then then the the if the player's not concussed, they can go back in mm-hmm. and the other player comes back out. Uh, but uh, if the player is discovered to be concussed, then it counts as a substitution, right? And that player uh, has to go mm-hmm. in and it counts as a sub. I would genuinely make it just a fourth sub that can only be used in the case of uh, a concussion. Okay. But, but not, like, would you have it be, because I would even be so okay with, like, say I'm suspected of getting a concussion, Daryl's on the bench, Daryl subs in for me. If I'm then cleared five or ten minutes later, I can swap you back out. Yeah. We kind of still have that option yep. if another concussion occurs. Yes. But I like the idea of slowing the whole thing down mm-hmm. without punishing the team 
because you're doing what actually medically you should be doing yep. to be a responsible team. Yep. Uh, even, I don't know if this will get backlash or not, and I know it was tried in MLS and Bob Bradley exploited it, but I would allow <laughs> a, a goalkeeper substitution. Because okay. I always think it's really unfair, yeah. like when there's a red card and uh, to a goalkeeper and then you have to sub out a centre forward. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I would allow a substitution for... Oh, not for a red card. That's not fair. Yeah, right? I, know, I know what you mean, though. I think but for well. an injured yeah. goalkeeper, mm-hmm. I would allow a fourth substitution. If yeah. you get the red card part, that would cause backlash. And if people really want to do what Bob Bradley did, I guess it's okay. It yeah. requires a lot of legwork, and it could easily bite you. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, you can do the research on that one because we'll save you the time and not even <laughs> go into it. But, yeah, I think four substitution for concussions is one. And then my other one, which I think we can all agree to, is that Manchester United get 30 points to start the season. I mean, they'd still finish in the Europa League, but yeah. <laughs> I had to make it 30 instead of 20 because that would still put them not at the top of the table. <laughs> it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year. No, I mean, I looked at other ones, but like, there's nothing that I would really want to do right now that I have like such a burning desire to deal with. And anything I could come up with that I do sort of find myself annoyed by and wouldn't mind a rule dealing with, it then is difficult to enforce. Like players crowding the referee. I want it to be like the coach gets a yellow card if too many players are on the ref. But again, mm-hmm. it's just too many variations and weirdness. So I've gone, I've gone for clarity of, of substitutions and Man United getting free points. There's the one thing that the, um, the IFAB, I've forgotten his role, but his senior IFAB guy suggested. Senior which IFAB is, guy, that's the thing. Senior IFAB mm-hmm. guy, uh, we talked about this on a, uh, last week on the show, suggested maybe don't use VAR in very fine detail for those marginal offside yep. calls. Mm-hmm. Like if it's not clear and obvious offside uh, and you don't have to do um, the X's and the dots. Maybe just don't do that. If it's clear and obvious, like call it back for offside. Yeah. If not, let it go. Yep. Yeah. I would, yeah. And well, transparency with that would be, yeah, all of those types of tweaks would be fine as that well. That would be the most popular thing you could do right now, mm-hmm. right? Is solve that problem, which I think I just did. Well, yeah, the IFAB guy did, and I agreed with Yeah. That. Perfect. I'm taking, Solved. I'm taking credit. I'm taking credit. You can take that credit, my friend, <laughs> and you can take credit for today's sponsor, I guess, if you really want to. <laughs> Who is it, Taylor? It's Policy Genius. It's January 2020. The year 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars. And a lot of those predictions were wrong. I'm cycling to work and occasionally looking at Mars. Are you? Do you find yourself looking at Mars a lot? Looking for it. There we go. Uh, The truth is we'll always get the future wrong, which is why we need to get life insurance. That's where Policy Genius can help. We do sort of get the future wrong. My wife and I have been watching The Mandalorian a lot lately, and it is awesome how they've stuck with the technology that they thought was going to happen in the 70s. There's there's no real computers in there. It seems to be a lot of blinking lights and, like, very dodgy uh, uh, holograms. And there's big old buttons and yes. big switches you have to flip. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, touch screens, not really a thing in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> uh, Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Mm-hmm. Does Mando have life insurance? Uh, I feel like he he is his own life insurance is my answer to that. But otherwise, no, I'm going to guess he does not. I <laughs> see. I think he would have. I think he, he should. He's got he's got a, a without spoiling anything a thing that he is protecting. I feel yeah. like you got to protect yourself in case something goes wrong. If he did, then maybe the thing he's protecting would be a little bit more safe. And I think he's smart and he prepares for all eventualities. Mm-hmm. I think he secretly has life insurance. He just wouldn't tell you about it. I mean, he doesn't say a lot, right? <laughs> It's an interesting question of does life insurance exist in the Star Wars universe? Oh, definitely. You think so? Yeah, they go to StarWarsPolicyGenius.com. Man, whoever insured the Death Star uh, really, really (laughs) did not work – that did not work out for them long term. It was uninsurable on the second one. Maybe that's how they built the second one is because they had insurance (laughs) from the first one. There it is. There it is. And maybe they went to Policy Genius because they would simplify the process. Uh, the Policy Genius team handles the paperwork. They handle the red tape. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get to 
discouraged, you can still insure your Death Star or uh, your life, if that's maybe more appropriate. If you're working on the Death Star, you probably want life insurance. It passes precedent. It doesn't go very well for you. Uh, it takes just a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Thank you to Policy Genius for sponsoring today's show. Mm-hmm. Um, next question comes from Isabel McCurry. Yes, sir. It's actually Dan McCurry asking on behalf of Isabel McCurry. Um, she's just, she just started supporting West Ham mm-hmm. because of the bubbles. So yep. Isabel supporting West Ham because of the bubbles. So Dan and Isabel want to know how and or why did West Ham become associated with bubbles? You mm-hmm. know that when, like when they come out, the song plays, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, and literally people blow those bubbles that are everywhere yep. as the players come out of the tunnel. It's kind oh, of I've nice. Seen, I've seen Green Street Hooligans. Thank you very much. But yes, <laughs> they, play, they, they play it often. It dates back a ways, my friend. Uh, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles comes from, I believe, 1918. It was a Broadway song. Song, became very popular in the 1920s in England. The maybe apocryphal, maybe made up story, because I've done the research on this one. Do you want to guess where it comes from or do you have a rough idea? I have a rough mm-hmm. idea um, that it's it's from a musical. And <laughs> Correct so far. Um, oh, so I did read this, but not Is recently. there a child involved, yes or no? Yes. Mm-hmm. You got it. Um, I feel like you wouldn't have asked me unless there was, but yes. <laughs> I, I should have made that trick here. Is there a Jawa involved? <laughs> now you're no. confused. Um, yeah, basically, there's a 1920s schoolboy named Will Murray. Uh, he was nicknamed Bubbles because he resembled uh, a child oh, in the mad. well-known painting uh, used to advertise Pears Soap. There we go. Uh, Murray's school team were playing at West Ham's uh, Boylan Ground. Uh, apparently, the headmaster of the school was there. He wanted to show his support, so he started singing uh, the song to serenade Will, but because he was nicknamed Bubbles. Okay. Uh, There's a a lot of links in this chain. Yes. uh, Modern vernacular being what it is, I'm guessing it didn't quite mean the same thing it did back then, because that would be a strange thing for Uh a principal to sing to a child. Um, But basically, I guess the crowd joined in, and the the maybe apocryphal story is that it went from there, because they were playing at West Ham's ground when it happened, and everybody liked the song, so it continued. The... I feel like more realistic one is that those sort of songs, those Broadway songs that ended up being sung in pubs and public gatherings and such were sort of the pop songs of the day and they were used to keep spirits going. Uh-huh. And the first, I think, like recorded instance of that song being sung at West Ham comes – it was in a uh, 442 uh, article – was in 1940 at the Football League War Cup final at Wembley where the Irons the beat War Blackburn 1-0. Now I want to know all about the War Cup. I mean, I, I can guess, I can guess yeah. why it's called that. but I'm guessing you can. Um, but – at that time period, you've got World War II, you've got uh, the Battle of Britain, uh, and so the song was sort of a catchy tune that was sung in air raid shelters and underground tunnels during yep. World War II bombing to kind of keep spirits alive. Uh-huh. And I'm going to assume that it then corresponds to, well, we sing it in the bomb shelters, we may as well sing it when our team's getting shelled or what have you. <laughs> but I think it's basically a catchy tune that kind of rallied people together, gave people a sense of community, yeah. then kind of continued on with West Ham. And I do love it about West Ham. Mm-hmm. Sort of, to me, it's something that gives West Ham like an extra, an extra bit of character, a thing that differentiates them from other Premier League teams. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a strange one when you first hear it and see it sog. It's yeah. like, okay, all right, why yeah. not? So me and Isabel feel the same on that. Um, okay, <laughs> next question yeah. comes from Robert Cordova. Robert Cordova wants to know, what is the TSS opinion on Xavi Hernandez, yeah. his club and international career? Because Xavi finally retired 
in 2019. He was playing for, what, Al Saad in mm-hmm. Qatar. Um, but he's obviously more famous for his time with Barcelona um, and with Spain. So what's the TSS opinion on Xavi Hernandez? I think he's been gone, like, a long enough time that he is in that era of, like, it's easy, or in that time period of it's easy to sort of forget how good he was. Mm-hmm. When you go back and watch that Barcelona team and just how on the ball, how present he is, how precise he is in everything he does, it's, like, I think Robert's initial question was, like, did he redefine the position? And I would say, no, he did not. But what he did do is, like, completely embody what that central midfield position is supposed yeah. to be for Barcelona. And I don't even, I wouldn't even put a number on it. Like, I wouldn't call him a six, an eight, Mm-mm. or a ten. Maybe an eight if you had to choose one of those. Yep. But I would just call him the midfielder that everything went through. Yes, right? exactly. And I, I would say my biggest, um, like, memory or takeaway from Xavi is he is the first player that I watched and saw the importance of looking around the field. Right, he he's the player that would always, if you would watch him off the mm-hmm. ball, he's looking like to his left, to his right, in front, behind. He's scanning the field the entire time, and you can almost see like he's seen everything. So that when he receives the ball, that's when he strikes these seemingly magical passes that you don't understand mm-hmm. how he's spotted where the ball should go. It's because he's scanning the field the entire time. And for me, even though I was like at least in my yep. late twenties at that point, that was a revelation. We spend too much time together. Do we? <laughs> so I was reading uh, a summary of a like journalistic – or not journalistic, but a like scientific uh, journal uh, study by Dr. Ger Jordet, Jordet, a Norwegian professor of psychology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar with this one. Of course. Of course. I was actually wondering if you had read this as I well because he wrote his master's thesis and PhD on the role of vision, perception, and anticipation in elite-level performance. Uh-huh. Here are your two uh, kind of quotes that you should – you would enjoy, I feel like. The study looked into search frequency of 64 players over 180. 18 games. Basically what he was Search looking at frequency. he was looking okay. at how often the players are like like noticeably visibly looking around how often yeah. they're checking everything that's going on. Frank Lampard uh, had a very high score of uh, 0.62 searches per second before receiving the ball. So he's This is the average across the span of 90 minutes. Yes. Wow, okay. Uh Steven Gerrard uh, was very close with 0.61. Uh and basically, it correlated that like players who actively scanned the field were able to retain the ball. They had better pass completion rates, and they were better aware of everything that was going on. Yeah. Can I just say this narrative is not satisfying unless Xavi has a higher score than he had two. the highest of any player yes. observed. Point eight three. Woo-hoo. So again, point six. Two for Lampard, 0.61 for Gerard. Yeah. Here's the other one that I thought you'd enjoy. Whenever he received the ball and had not scanned or, and, and sampled the information, he played the ball back from where it came. He took no risk when he didn't have any information. So Xavi oh. would play very simple until he was able to reevaluate and spot opportunities. Yeah. Then he would play the ball forward and as a result had an incredibly high pass completion percentage rate. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's his vision. It's his kind of awareness how often he's checking off and he's moving, but not necessarily like he's not this dynamic runner who's all over the place and you kind of can't deal with his energy he didn't need to be because he's so good on the ball that even if he is a little bit slower really players can't get near him and kind of don't want to at the same time and here's my ultimate opinion Mm -hmm. on Xavi and I think it's best to look at him through the prism of the success of Barcelona and of the Spanish national team when Xavi was in those teams at the heart of those teams they were borderline unstoppable, mm-hmm. right? There was definitely a period in time like 2009 to 2012 where Barcelona were the best club team in the world and Spain were the best national team in the world. And their influence, like as he gets a little older, their influence starts to, their, their superiority starts to wane a little bit. When he leaves the national team and he leaves Barcelona, 
even though they were a magnificent player still in both of those teams, mm-hmm. they are not quite the same yeah. unstoppable force that, that they were. Right? No. He's the thing that made a team that featured Leo Messi and all those other talented players. He was the special thing that you could put in the middle of it that made both of those things unstoppable. Yep. He good. Yeah. He good is what we're saying. Yep. Yeah. And he, he does feel a little bit like Paul Scholes in that it's a player who it's easy to sort of like like I, if I ask you, you said like, oh yeah, he's like he's good on the ball, he's good in possession, he's always looking. But you don't have those sort of like highlight moments where it's gonna stand out. You that you will have with Lionel Messi, where you'll remember these runs and the slaloming runs yeah. and the tight finishing. But yeah, but like but then once you kind of delve into it and you hear people talk about it, it's always he was amazing, he was so good, he was the best there is. And I think he backs that up with a, a lot of what you see uh, if you go back and watch him. Yeah, go back and watch like a Chavi highlight yep. thing and you'll you'll feel the magic again. That yeah. the champions. Thank League, you, Robert, for asking that question, by the way. I yeah. just just thinking about Chavi's made me smile. Their first win in the Champions League against Manchester United is the one to watch. That's the one where he puts the ball on Lionel Messi's head yes, to score a yes, header. Yes, yes. Come on this. now. Come on now. Yeah. When, you're, when you're getting headers from Lionel Messi off balls from Xavi, you're doing just fine. <laughs> Next question. Uh, I think, I, I think I, you, uh, you've been forced to ask two, so I'll ask you this one. Joey right. Jitlowski, uh, I have a feeling we're going to have some overlap on this one as well. If you had to grow, if you had to grow <laughs> uh, one extra body part to give you the biggest advantage in soccer possible, what would it be and why? Now, we're assuming that it's as like, weird science levels of like it grows and then yeah. it functions the way the other ones do. Polish genius couldn't it. imagine the, nah. the science that is involved right. here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to say is we're not going for the mechanics. I don't really want an email. I don't want a letter from a listener being like, actually, if you had that, it would cause problems yeah. for this. So it wouldn't really work that way. I'm aware. So especially based on us just talking about Xavi, mm-hmm. I would say an extra head. Okay. I would want an extra head. two heads? So one can look forwards and one can look backwards mm-hmm. and still be scanning the field. If a head's too much, I'd go extra eyes. I've got an eye in the back of the head. There we go. Yep. Right. It would be slightly off-putting and you'd have to kind of adjust yeah. your haircuts accordingly. But, but Would you let me have a whole extra head though? Uh, sure. with, with eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then I would just have one head that's constantly just doing the scanning of the field and then one head is free to do the other stuff. All right. Are they going to yeah. argue? Is it going to be a Zaphoid Bieber Rocks situation <laughs> where you have to like silence one and... Keep him, uh, keep him subdued. I hope not. All right. Uh, the other one, the, the one that was my number one answer was lungs. I'd go for another lung. Yeah. Wow. A little bit more endurance, a little bit more running. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how you get, get more core strength, but the answer is just work out your core. But you can't <laughs> get more lung strength. You got to get more lungs. Artur Vidal, I think, might have, might have had that he operation. He has four lungs. You didn't know that? Yeah. yeah. I think mm-hmm. he might do. Yeah. So you go lungs, yep. or would you go eyes first if you had to choose? I go lungs, just because yeah, I feel like it fits more lungs in there. And also, I don't really want an eye in the back of my head. I feel like it would be Fair. off-putting and slightly strange. Oh, so you're thinking of the cosmetic impact and like the life impact as well as the on-the-field yeah. impact. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I guess lungs no one can see, right? So Yeah. 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 You can fit them in there. It's fine. So lungs is the most advantage without you looking weird in public. Yeah. yeah. Get that spleen out of there my, and put in a lung. My extra head would attract attention. It slightly Probably, would, yes. yeah. It would be a little discount. But you could double win headers, and I think that's you the way to go. Yep. Mm-hmm. You could also just like, yeah, you could split the difference. If you're not quite sure where it's going to land, you could just say option A, option B, and have one head go for each one. It would be annoying if you scored... Uh, like a header with one head, but the other head was slightly offside on VAR. <laughs> I wonder if they would. I guess, yeah, it's, it's involved. So there you go, Daryl. Now you're yep. in trouble. <laughs> oh, so why didn't we go for legs? I, it, from My answer is that, like, I would imagine it's actually harder to run with three legs. I think I've seen a three-legged race, and it doesn't really work out for anyone involved. Yeah. That's really where it Coordination's a problem. Yeah. Right? Like, maybe a wheel. If I could just grow a wheel a and wheel. just roll around, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But even then, it's going to be hard to kick. If you're a goalkeeper, it's an extra arm and advantage. It definitely is, right? Yeah, I think so. We put you slightly off balance to have, like, because you only get one extra body part, right? So imagine you have, like, two left arms and one right arm. Yeah. 
does the advantage you gain from the extra arm is that offset by having a weird like you're, yeah. you're slightly think, weighted to the left balance I think it doesn't help you as much as, as we would probably think I think a tail helps you as a goalkeeper if you get like a, a functioning like kangaroo tail that you could use to, like whack stuff away and like when keepers come out and they get five hold like the tail yeah. could cover that five hole you're never getting magged if you've got a tail tell that's genius there we go alright genius kangaroo tail Four lungs, yep. unstoppable. Yeah, because goalkeeper also doesn't need eyes in the back of the head, right? So outfield player eyes, goalkeeper tail. I mean, unless like people are hurling things from the stands, in which case you got to know they're coming in. Otherwise, yeah, I think <laughs> tail for the goalkeeper is the way to go. All right, <laughs> those questions were definitely answered. <laughs> they certainly were. Before we get to the rest of our questions, we should pause to talk about today's sponsor, Manscaped. Hello, uh, Manscaped. the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family goals. If you want uh, your family goals, whoops, your family jewels. Corrected, yeah. clarified. Uh, if you want to turn your Fellaini into a Verone, uh, you can use uh, Manscaped to make that happen. That's a very Manchester United reference. How about uh, if you want to turn Lawless in 1994 into Lawless today, you could also use Manscaped products. <laughs> that's, not like a, that's not a full shave then. That's just trim it yeah, down. You're, just, you're yeah. just keeping things respectable. Just tidy it up. You're making it available for broadcast? That's, yeah, that's what Alex has done, right? He's tidied yes, it up for yes. broadcast. Yeah. But I don't know if that works so well for uh, the products that you would be using for Manscaped. Because well, they would be broadcasting a different place. I guess certain people are broadcasting yeah. those areas. They don't put that on Fox Sports 1. They do not. They do not. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, Manscaped offers quality products uh, like the Lawnmower 2.0 that has proprietary skin safe technology. So there will be no nicking, no snagging. Uh, if you need to trim things down, they get it done quickly and easily, and most importantly, painlessly. They also have the Crop Preserver, which is an anti chafing deodorant for mm. down there, and also a moisturizer for down um, there. For down there, mm. you already you put stuff on your armpits, yep. right, to keep them keep them nice and fresh. That does make sense. It does, right? I'm convinced by that copy. Those areas, the armpit areas, tend to smell. The other area tends to smell. Put some deodorant down there. I I can't reach down there, but I assume it doesn't smell as good as other places. Um, (laughs) You get 20% off plus free Mm. shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Start the new year off the right way by using the best tools for the job. Just do it, but that is not their sponsor. That's someone else's, their (laughs) slogan, rather. Uh, Turn your your Axel Witzel into an Esteban Cambiasso. Beautiful. There we are. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode and for Daryl for bringing up Axel Witzel and Esteban Cambiasso. (laughs) Daryl, another question for you. Matthew Grant. Uh, do you have any special insight into why USL does not implement Pro Rail between its three leagues? I'm always confused that so much of the Pro Rail discussion is about Major League Soccer and there isn't more about Pro Rail within USL or between uh, NISA and NPSL. This is a good question because I sort of agree with the premise that yep. if Pro Rail is going to happen, it's not going to happen with Major League Soccer. No. It is more likely to happen in the lower tiers. I wouldn't have any special insight because I think anybody could have this insight Mm -hmm. but thanks to Matthew I've sat down and thought about this (laughs) okay so USL did do the thing where they rebranded so there's the USL Championship Mm -hmm. League 1 and League 2 and at the time they did this uh, Jake Edwards the president said it was a realistic possibility that at some point they might have pro rel between the divisions Mm -hmm. but here's the reason they don't do it just yet right the USL Championship last year had 36 teams Split into two conferences. Uh, This year they're going to have 35 teams split into two conferences. Slightly less fair amount. USL League One, so the third tier uh, last year, we watched a lot of it Mm -hmm. because of the Richmond Kickers. It only had 10 teams. And that was its first year in operation. So it's going to take a while. They're going to essentially, if they're ever going to do this, they're going to have to build up USL League One uh, to the point where it's stable enough and has enough teams. And like a USL Championship team would be happy to 
play in it, right? Mm. That wouldn't have been the case last year when it was a league that had zero credibility to begin with or proof that it could sustain a full season, yep. right? Uh, for 2020, they have 12 teams, so it's growing slowly but surely. Um, so it's possible in the future. USL 2... And 12 with one from last season haven't contracted, right? Yeah, so, so they've actually yeah. picked up three teams. So it's, it's grown a decent amount. Yeah. So it's grown, grown a decent amount. Um, USL League 2... It makes it sound like it's just a natural progression from League One to League Two, but USL League Two is actually very different right. from uh, League One or the Championship. League One and the Championship are actually quite similar, right? Just basically smaller teams in mm-hmm. League One. League Two is really the rebranded PDL, right. and there are all kinds of rules governing that. It's not entirely, but it's more amateur than professional, right? It actually has a rule that you can have a maximum of players on your roster, of maximum of eight players who are over 23. Right? That's a rule in uh, USL League 2. So he's literally not operating on the same rules as League 1 mm-hmm. and the Championship. So I'm essentially arguing that it's just not, an, it's not a smooth transition and the leagues aren't as linked as the branding appears to make them. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would add the common issues of money and travel and geography. Yeah. But I think the bigger thing for me, and again, this isn't a like factual thing. This is just sort of my opinion. A lot of this, pretty much all of this in my mind, relates to the idea that just ProRel is not a common operating practice in the United States. Yeah. And because it's not normal, it's not the default position. If you're yep. starting a new league in the Premier League, you're going to have ProRel, or if you're going to do it in England or Germany or wherever, because that is the kind of default setup. That's the default structure. Mm-hmm. So then you would have to incorporate all those things to get them going but if it's not your kind of background it's not your fundamental like point that you've always utilized then it's sort of is like ah no it's like a big it's a big obstacle we don't really know how to deal with it maybe someday once we have more structure in place versus it's built into the yeah. structure right now and honestly the model for usl is staying in business yep right and even though it would be cool and, and rightfully so be exciting to have promotion and relegation even between the championship and league one which is more realistic than involving league two because mm-hmm. for the reasons i outlined earlier um, if you want all those clubs to stay in business and those teams to stay in business, it would add some uncertainty to to the structure right now to just go straight in with promotion relegation. Sorry. I think what and you've also got to think that there are expansion fees, right? Teams have paid an expansion fee, not as much as you, nowhere near as much as you pay to get into MLS, but you pay an expansion fee to get into the USL Championship. It would be harsh to have a team pay that expansion fee and then have them be relegated mm-hmm. down to USL League One. So I think what they'll do. Is keep growing League One. Maybe the, it looks like they're trying to add MLS two MLS reserve teams essentially to to League One, and you know teams with a smaller media market. Eventually, maybe it gets to a point where there's the championship and League One, and League One is stable enough that it could absorb a championship team into it for a season, uh, and the championship team wouldn't feel like it's been cast into the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to grow League One before this is even a possibility. You absolutely do, because look at the Richmond Kickers, who basically self-relegated to be in League One yeah. uh, so that they could like remain in operation and kind of continue to function at a yeah. level that they were comfortable with. Because the, the cost of doing business in League One yeah. are lower. Yeah, yeah. Right. and so if, you, if they were then promoted, not that they're in... Any situation where that seems likely, but if they were promoted back to USL Championship, you don't have a lot of the, the kind of financial incentives in place that you have in other leagues. And if you get relegated back out, you don't have those parachute payments. Maybe you would, but it's not going to be nearly as much as it would be in other leagues. Yeah. So you don't sort of have that financial package to help you continue to exist. So you could also argue that if teams got promoted, they may be in a lot of trouble very quickly, and it could actually be a negative for them overall. Yeah. So yeah, another way of saying that is to say that. The championship and League One exist right now as a place where a team that wants to be in operation mm-hmm. can choose which model suits them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you can just choose business-wise which model suits them, which is really the underlying truth about a lot of American soccer, mm-hmm. right? It's about 
where can I operate successfully as opposed to can we do a big pro rail plan? Right. If you want to hear a big pro rail plan, well, Soccer 101 yeah. is the podcast you're looking for where Taylor and I each outline a big plan for how pro rail could work in the United States. Because we both like to see it happen. We yes. just both recognize that it's it's a difficult prospect right now. Yeah, it's going to take some time. It could happen in the future, but it's going to take some time. It is indeed. <laughs> so we, we can leave that one there. Uh, next question you want to ask or you want to answer? I would like to answer. All right. Uh, Mauricio Setikoff, considering the crowds the U.S. women's national team draws, how is it so difficult to get a women's league going? Is it due to a cultural issue of some kind? Is it a sponsorship problem, mismanagement? It boggles the mind that MLS can succeed and not a women's league. I would take issue with the premise of this question a little bit in that the NWSL is very w- much in business. I would, too, except by responding with, uh, I take issue with the question, but also all the above is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> but NWSL yeah. is in business, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not difficult to get a women's league going. But I also, I take the spirit of the question, which is sort of, why isn't the NWSL as established and successful as Major, major League Soccer when you look at how successful and popular mm-hmm. like, and marketable the U.S. women's national team is? Right. It should be exploding. Like It seems like it should be exploding that you had nine teams last season. You should have 12 teams this season. Yeah. in NWSL the way you do in League One, you do not. And here's my basic answer is that it took a long time for mm-hmm. Major League Soccer to succeed. It took a long time for Major League Soccer to get to the point where it is now, where it's just adding teams and teams are desperate to get into the league. And it also took, I, I forget the exact number of people, but it took at least a couple of billionaires like Phil Anschutz and the Hunt family to say, we will happily lose a load of money mm-hmm. year after year to make sure this thing stays in business. That is the story of Major League Soccer in the early and middle years, right? right? That someone just, a couple of billionaires took it on their shoulders to say, I'll lose money just to make sure this thing happens. As I understand it, NWSL has some rich owners involved, but has never had that, and no women's league before has had the sort of support where a really, really wealthy person or family or organization was willing to say, We'll just lose money and we don't even care. We just want to make sure this thing happens. Right. It's never had that springboard. No, it has not. And and I think as a result, but also maybe as as like an explanation for that, is that like it's really easy to sort of look at it and think like, oh, it's the women's league. They're not being supported. Everybody sucks. Like we're all sexist. No one cares about women's sports in this country. And I feel like that's oversimplifying a lot of the issues at, at heart because like, going back, there was an article from Jeff Kasouf uh, prior to the start of last season where he was talking about like the league itself doesn't help. They don't send out a lot of communication. They're not very good at responding to stuff so that there was no big promotional push for the start of the season. There weren't players made yeah. available. There weren't announcements from teams. It was sort of like the bare minimum done to make sure that there was some awareness. But if you're not pushing that awareness – like like national news organizations are not going to go out and try to like find those little nuggets of information that makes it a compelling story. They're just not going to talk about it. And if you're sort of not doing that legwork yourself, the league, yeah. then it's going to be difficult for other people to start picking it up. So I think the league bears some responsibility. The lack of sponsorships is a big part of it. Yeah. So the, there's that lack of money as well that comes into it. it and isn't it also true that like money begets money as well? Like if yeah, you've got big money people mm-hmm. involved, it is easier for those big money people to attract sponsors yep. or like know someone at a big company to mm-hmm. get that. That sponsorship yes. in, and I, I, per, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like that's what NWSL has lacked uh, in the past. Like, yes. there's no lack of commitment from the people involved. There's just people aren't the people involved weren't as influential as the people involved in Major League Soccer. Were. Right, and I, and I think because you don't have that like that influence and that money behind it, you have those moments where I think a lot of times the stories that come out about NWSL 
are negative, and they're not like slam pieces, but it's it's a lot more. It's like, always will the league survive? It's that, but then like remember the it's story about how they had to like like play that one game in the outfield of a baseball field where like it was way too small. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the story. Hope Solo talking about having to like play at a hotel where there was a furry convention yeah. that gets narrated, and so like the stories about NWSL, like oh look at it, can't even do this. Like those are almost easier to write, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because. Otherwise, the articles are sort of like NWSL like, continues to plug along and it just sort of like isn't going to attract all of those clicks. Would you agree that there was an upswing post-2019 oh, yeah. Women's World Cup? I mean, right? it's why Budweiser came in as a sponsor. Yeah, there's the Budweiser sponsorship. There were big crowds. Like suddenly yep. the crowds look really good. And there's a thing like Washington Spirit playing mm-hmm. at Audi Field, yep. getting a good crowd. I feel like NWSL did a better job of cashing in. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Um, of like really... Uh, taking advantage of the success of the USWNT at the Women's World Cup and like taking that momentum into the uh, the second half of the NWSL season. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so, but I think a lot of that relates to Finally. the games in person. Mm-hmm. Like, there is still... Like, I, I don't know if there's a TV contract for this year. We also don't even have a schedule for the upcoming season as well, yeah. so that doesn't help. But, like, I think a lot of times it is difficult that in any given moment if I asked you, like, hey, how can you watch NWSL this weekend? I feel like it's like, well, it's on A&E or Lifetime or maybe I forget where it is here now. Like, it's it's difficult to know that where it's That relationship's over. I know right. That, but it's, it's, like, difficult to know where it's going to be at any given moment. And I think that also doesn't help in terms of you're not putting – teams and personalities in front of people to be able to watch them to learn more about them. Is this a lack of research on our part though? Like is there maybe a TV deal in place for 2020 and we just I mean I've read two different articles I don't think that there's anything like set definitively in place similar to sponsorships. So you've gone looking this isn't just Yeah. yeah. Like like Budweiser for example have said I think the league and Budweiser both said like yeah the partnership was like very good this was around the time of the NWSL final I think but it was like it's too early to really speak we have we still have to have more conversations so even then you don't really have a like title sponsor yet and I Again, you don't even have the schedule in place yet, so difficult to really have a lot of things set in stone when that's the case. Okay, we're going to find out more. We're going to be in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. There's going to be the NWSL draft, so right. we're going to find out more while we're there. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think what this – the final thing I would say, because I do want to find out more about it, is just that to like the overall point of the question is that – we should be like supporting NWSL more. It's a thing that you and I talked about uh, after the Women's World Cup that like our show like full disclosure like our show takes a big hit in numbers when we talk NWSL and I think in the past that was a sort of reason why we were like well like there's not that much interest it seems so we're not going to cover it and I think we have we have sort of and not like we're talking about it every single day but I think you and I both made the decision that like but. Is that because people aren't talking about it, that the league doesn't get that much coverage, so then there's not as much attention, and maybe if people start talking about it, even if there aren't clicks and downloads, it still at least keeps it front and center. So that's the thing I think we're going to try to do at least a better job of this season, if not a great job. I think that also gets to one big underlying point, um, which is that the U.S. women's national team is very, very popular. That doesn't always necessarily translate into people wanting mm-hmm. to know about the NWSL, yeah. right? US Women's National Team this summer, any content we did about the USWNT was really popular, got loads of downloads, right? But then NWSL, not not quite the same, right? I think there's, there's definitely a difference between the national team yeah. and the domestic league. I have a question for you about that. Yeah. Um, this is like completely, I've never thought about this before until just now. I'm wondering what you think of it. Is there an argument to be made that because the US Women's National Team plays so many friendlies, a lot of them at home, that it almost removes some of the motivation to go see those players oh, for like NWSL. If you, you want to go see Alex Morgan play, yeah. you, you can probably go watch the US Women's National yeah. Team. Yeah, like, or like if you have the opportunity to do that, then you're probably not going to go, then go see an Orlando City game or yeah. a Washington Spirit game or something like that if you can go see the national team play at Maybe. RFK or whatever. Not want, RFK, I don't want to answer. I don't want to answer definitively because, mm-hmm. yeah, don't go to RFK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to answer definitively because I haven't thought it That's fair. through. 
But let's instead of instead of maybe thinking it through and answering definitively, let's just watch some women's soccer and uh, encourage people to do the same. Okay, let's do that then. Uh, uh, qualifying mm-hmm. for the Olympics starts soon, yes. end of this month, I believe. I, I thought you were saying I was qualifying something. I was like, I'm not. <laughs> I'm saying just watch it and support it. No, the U.S. is going to beat Haiti and Panama um, okay. to, st- to start the year. I think they'll be all right. I think yeah. they'll be all right. Uh, next question. Mm-hmm. Comes from uh, Liza Benovenli. Uh, my fiancé and I love soccer, but he also loves Liga Mekis, and I have trouble getting into it because I don't speak Spanish. Why is there such a little coverage of Liga Mekis in English? Isn't it very popular? How can I connect better with it? I think a big problem is that the Mexican national team continues to play all the fr- – no, I'm just kidding. She's going to continue with uh, – teams not getting the coverage they deserve. Why is there such little coverage of Liga MX in English? Mm-hmm. This is actually kind of interesting. Um, Univision mm-hmm. has a lot of the English language rights to Liga MX. They have the Spanish language rights right. to a lot of teams and they have the English language rights. Univision does not have an English language channel. That so doesn't help. a lot of the Univision English language broadcast is done as like a secondary audio programming where I always struggle to, to uh, access that. On my, I've had multiple different TVs and cable providers. I struggle to find the secondary audio program. Yeah. And I'm not someone who's bad at operating remote controls. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes they'll do it on Facebook. They will broadcast a game um, via their Facebook page with the English language commentary. So it's, it's out there, but it's hard to find Mm -hmm. then the other weird thing is because of the way Liga MX uh, TV rights work Fox Sports actually has the English language rights to home games featuring Tijuana Santos Laguna and Monterrey Mm -hmm. but only those three teams right right? not the entire league I think they're sold on a different basis to the way we we normally understand things so basically that's why English language coverage is hard to track down the solution Before is just said, to watch it in Spanish. Yeah, I, th- I think so because I that's do what th- I do. I don't speak Spanish. I do think it's going to change. I do think like in the next few years, as there's more crossover with MLS, as more people kind of recognize how strong Liga MX is, uh, I think there will probably be more interest and maybe more interest in an English language broadcast. But, but why for right would you? Now, if, if you were Univision, mm-hmm. you're, you're an American TV station, mm-hmm. but a lot of your viewers, uh, Spanish is either their first or joint first mm-hmm. language. I'm not sure there's a big benefit to say Univision launching uh, an English language channel. No, but I think there's 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 an incentive to if you want to grow your market share and get more people involved, there's an obvious market in the United States yeah. for people who just want to watch soccer. So I think it doesn't even necessarily require a massive thing, just having an English language app option more readily available or more easy to find on the on an app or something yeah. like that. It makes it that much more accessible. I do think that's something that they will probably pursue in the next like five to ten years. Or I guess they could sub-license it, right? Once, mm-hmm. you, have, once you buy the rights, right. you could sell it on to someone else. Like if someone wanted to buy those English language rights off of Univision, maybe they could do that. So that's yep. another possibility. But for now at least... Your best option, honestly, is mm-hmm. to watch the game in Spanish. Honestly, commentators are not that useful anyway sometimes. Well, right? here's, here's what I would say, though. I would agree with that. I would say my two— Except for Stu Holden. He's always good. He's always good. Uh, but I would say two things. I would say if you're going to watch it uh, in Spanish and you don't speak that much Spanish, number one, watch it with the lineups in front of you. Like have yes. them on your phone, on an iPad, write them down, whatever you want to do. But it allows you to kind of better understand so you're not sort of trying to pick out what the commentators are saying. At least you can kind of put the number with the name and know the players that way and maybe gain yeah. a little familiarity. But I'd also say with that, it requires you really paying attention. It's like watching yes. a foreign film as you're like slowly falling asleep. Not quite as easy if it's subtitled as, say, just watching a, The Office for the 400th time where you know every line. You can just doze off to that one, whereas the other one requires attention. So that was a window into your life. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> uh, and so I think if you're, if you're really paying attention, you're going to pick up on it. You're probably going to pick up on some of the words as well. So I think that those are two ways you could go about it. And the third would just follow people who cover the league. 
that's the other thing. You can find English language content yep. about the league that's not on the live broadcast, right? So even if you go on Twitter, um, I would recommend uh, following Tom Marshall. He mm-hmm. is at Mexico World Cup. Uh, follow Cesar Hernandez. Yep. Follow John Arnold. Yep. There are plenty those are the, more. Those are the three I've written down. So you've right, once again be, stolen my point. Just follow the three big ones, right? The yes. three most obvious ones. But also, if you use the hashtag or search the hashtag Liga MX ENG mm-hmm. Liga MX ENG um, that hashtag was created specifically for Liga MX coverage in English yeah. so yeah you can definitely find uh, Liga MX content that way even if you don't find broadcasts that way alright all right. so yeah follow them watch the games pay attention look at the lineups you'll be fine <laughs> maybe learn some Spanish good bullet points Duolingo's there for good you why points. not uh, uh, final question Daryl I think I've asked a few why don't you ask this one okay Mary Therese Reyes mm. asks do you agree with the trend of hiring inexperienced club legends to coach clubs in the top six of the Premier League like Solskjaer Arteta Lampard or would you prefer them to have a few years experience first in other clubs mm-hmm. so I'm I kind of disagree with aspects of this question, but I'm not going to reject it because I think that's kind of what I always tend to do. Instead, I'm just going to go ahead and answer it, which is that my answer is if they're being hired because they're like a club legend and they have that connection, I'm not a big fan of it. If they're being hired because there's things that they've said in the interview or the, or the club feels like they're the right hire and they also have that connection, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, this is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because the three managers mentioned, Solskjaer and Lampard specifically, do have experience, right? right? Solskjaer has managed uh, Mulder. That would be the point that I was kind of he's managed, with. He's managed Cardiff City, yeah. not yeah. that and then successfully. Again, yeah. And then Mulder again. But he is a somewhat experienced mm-hmm. manager. Frank Lampard did a pretty good job managing Derby County for one season. Yep. So he's got some experience. And then Mikel Arteta is interesting because he was part of a really, really successful Pep Guardiola staff mm-hmm. at Manchester City. But he was like assistant coach and not first team coach. So I think he's the least experienced of mm-hmm. the three mentioned i would suggest that if those players if none of those players had a pre-existing relationship with their club that they now manage they would not have got that job based on their cv yes that i think you're absolutely if frank lampard was just some random dude who just managed once one season at derby county and didn't get them promoted he's not getting the chelsea job right certainly not Solskjaer would not get the manchester united job on the strength of Two spells at Mulder and an unsuccessful, unsuccessful spell. The at second of City. which I believe ended with him. Uh, Mulder were eleventh, I believe, in the table when he right. when he moved back to Man United. So, so yeah, they were top eleven. Yeah, sure, perfect. <laughs> what more do you need? So um, I weirdly, I have really struggled with this because it seems like things are somewhat working out, at least for Frank Lampard, and I've got a feeling things are working out yeah. with Mikel Arteta. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to disagree with it when it seems to be working. Yeah, I mean, and but that's where I go to. I think Solskjaer is the outlier here, and I'm aware that I'm saying this as a Man United fan, so that might just be because I'm frustrated with them. I don't yeah. think it is, though, but I do think that he was sort of brought in to be the, we don't really have anybody else right now. He is beloved by the club, beloved by the fans. We'll just bring him in to kind of steady the ship. Yeah. And then they had that run of form, and I think they thought they maybe did. they struck lightning or yeah. got lightning in a bottle or whatever it is. And so then they gave him the permanent job and now here we are. And I feel like that is the one where I don't – that's what I mean to say where I say like, yeah, he's got some experience, but it does feel like it was the club legend status was more important than the coaching experience. Whereas yeah. I think it's probably the case for Frank Lampard as well and maybe Mikel Arteta, but it's much closer. that Arteta has all that experience with Guardiola, was, it sounds like, one of the finalists for the job the first time around, and they went to Unai Emery and that did not work out. So maybe that also factors in. And then with Frank Lampard, I think, yeah, that season with Darby combined with the transfer embargo, I think it's like unique circumstances, but he still has shown himself to be at least somewhat tactically adept at figuring things out. <laughs> 
I think each of these guys as well was hired at a point where the club needed a boost. And part of the idea of hiring them as coach was that it gave the fans, and not just like an immediate, just like, I don't know, like pleasing the fans move, genuinely does provide some momentum and enthusiasm uh, and reinvigorates um, a club. Mm -hmm. And I think it worked in all cases, right? It worked with Frank Lampard at Chelsea. People are excited about Chelsea this year, mm-hmm. and part of it is Frank Lampard being there, right? People were initially really excited about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, mm-hmm. one, not being Jose Mourinho, yep. um, and two, the way that team played for the first few And he's a lovely fella. Like, that is the case. Lampard very- or Solskjaer? Uh, I guess both, but I'm talking about Solskjaer specifically. That, like, by all accounts, I mean, he was the one who was happy to be a super sub, never, yeah, never yeah. rocked the boat. Is very polite in every interview, and I think has that sort of like love that comes with that, as yeah. opposed to being a controversial figure who like kind of polarized the fans. And I'm, but I'm sort of saying that both of those hires made, made sense beyond the fact, but also because of the fact they were club legends, actually served a purpose at the time of their hiring. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mikel Arteta is the outlier, but arguably the more interesting. One, because it seems that he's someone who, like you said, they were interested in in the past, Mm -hmm. right? So it seems like it's not just a knee-jerk, get this guy that used to play for us. It was more like, we've got our eye on this up-and-coming coach with a big reputation, um, so let's try and hire him. Yeah, but I think like... Are we answering this question or are we talking around it? I think we're kind of talking around it. To be fair, the question is, do you agree with the trend of hiring and experienced managers? Or would you prefer them have a few years of experience? And I think, honestly, I don't really agree with either one because I don't think that you need one list of categories over the other, I think it comes down to fit. And the one that always sits in my head is, is Julian Nagelsmann. That, like, that's a guy who, what, his first job was when he was 28, 27, yeah. something like that. Works well for Hoffenheim. Now he's at Leipzig. That's going well. Like, so we're saying there's no hard and fast no. Like, rule or criteria mm-hmm. you have to abide by. It's, it's different strokes for different folks. Exactly. Horses for courses. And again, that's... Other things that rhyme. If they're being hired on merit and talent... And that connection, again, I'm fine with it. Yeah. If it's they're hired because everybody used to love them and we need people to love us again, that's where I get concerned. Okay, so by that criteria then, Solskjaer and Lampard, there was just enough experience yeah. where it gets them over the line in terms mm-hmm. of it being okay. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. All right, now I feel like we answered Lampard it. more so than others. There we go. <laughs> Um, All right. Thank you to everybody for the questions. If you have a question you would like to send to us, the URL is totalsoccershow.com slash questions. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, If you support the show via totalsoccershow.com slash join, if you support the show at $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer one question per month at least from you. If you're someone who signed up at $10 a month and you've asked a question and it didn't get answered, um, do follow up and let us know because we try really hard to make sure we hit this every time. But things slip through the cracks they do. sometimes. They the do. spreadsheet is very big. <laughs> it, it is, is right? We it have is. a massive question spreadsheet. It's quite long. I yes. love it. I'm really happy that we have that because I'm, I'm very aware there was a time when we didn't have many questions to choose from. Now we have this absolute like overflowing abundance and I, I really, really love it. I'm glad that you love it. TotalSockShow.com <laughs> slash questions. Uh, anything else, Mr. Grove? I will just say Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again later this week.